How can you help your children understand and accept a sibling's disabilities? How early do you talk with your children? Will they have a full relationship as adults? These are questions many special needs parents struggle with. Melissa Ortiz, the Senior Advisor of ABLE Americans, is our guest again this week. Tune in to discover the importance of building understanding and compassion and learn how it's never too late to bond with your siblings. So, Melissa, welcome back to Water Prairie. Thanks. It's good to be back. As you know, if you've been following the podcast, this season we've been asking each of our guests to bring in some facts or pseudo facts about themselves to have you as a listener guess which are true and which are false. And so uh, Melissa's been a really good um, um, companion with this because she's been willing to bring in different ones for every episode that she's in. So we've tested her with her truths and her lies along the way. But today she has another set for us to try to guess with. So Melissa, what are your facts for today? I was once Miss Team USA, the very first person to ever compete on crutches. And I love completing crossword puzzles in ink. And I'm an avid reader. All right, so the crossword puzzles in ink, even my dad wouldn't do that. And my dad was an avid crossword puzzle, so I am really impressed if that ends up being a truth. But we'll see. Listeners, go and guess. Um, put it in the comments if you're on the YouTube channel. And if you're not, then um, check out Instagram and Twitter. Find the post and post your, your guesses there. And we'll see which of you are able to guess the correct one. Welcome to the Water Prairie Chronicles, a podcast created to encourage and support parents of special needs children. I'm Tonya Wallum, and I'm glad you're here. So, Melissa, today we're talking about... Um, disability issues. It's something that the podcast is about anyway. But specifically, I wanted to find out your experiences growing up in a family and some advice that you may have for parents who have more than one child. I have one sister and she is almost 10 years older than I. My mother was married and had my sister and that marriage ended in divorce because of domestic violence. Then my mother came home to live with her parents and try to figure out how to put her life back together and literally physically ran into her high school sweetheart in the in the hardwood store, hardware store three or four days after coming home. And less than a year later, they got married. And wow. then, you know, that is, they tried for five years to have a baby. And I, um, I didn't show up until they had been married almost, um, well, no, they had been married for five, they'd been married not quite five years when I showed up. And then um, my dad died when I was five. So not only did my mother, as the quintessential Southern lady, steal Magnolia, raise a child with a significant disability, and my original diagnosis, remember, was cerebral palsy. And it didn't change until I was an adult. So here's my sister who um, for almost 10 years has been the princess on the satin pillow, the only child, very athletic. She was a horsewoman, still is a horsewoman. She was the youngest person ever invited to, to join the Atlanta Ballet as a professional dancer. She had to choose between that and wow. horses because they do different things to your muscles. And she chose the horses uh, right when she was having to make that decision about did she want to pursue ballet full-time or she want to ride horses and she said she wanted to ride horses she my sister is also um we joke about her being the brightest bulb on the christmas tree because she is brilliant in math and science especially and 
I um, I can't imagine what it must have been like for her to, you know, go through the situation with her, her dad. Then my mom marries her high school sweetheart who adored my sister and treated her as his own. And then mom gets pregnant, doesn't know immediately she's pregnant. She's sick for the entire pregnancy and has to go to bed for a big chunk of the pregnancy. And then I was born two months early through a cesarean section that they didn't know if either one of us were going to live through. We both did. Um, spoiler alert. I think that I would be pretty resentful of the little upstart they brought home to. Because I was underweight. Um, they weren't prepared for me to be born. And my dad's not a shopper. So my first bassinet was a turkey box. And, you know, my sister, and, and all of a sudden, the whole world revolved around, well, does Melissa's diaper need to be changed? Does Melissa need to be rolled over? Does Melissa need to be fed? Oh, wait, mom can't pick Melissa up because mom can't lift anything heavier than a fort for six weeks after the birth. And so you have all these things. And I, I didn't really understand until I got older and I began to look at other families who had a child with a disability because I was the child with a disability and I couldn't wrap my head around it from her perspective. And then when I began to see her perspective, I thought, oh my gosh, I think I would have put me on the back of my, of the bike and driven off somewhere and just left me somewhere to fend for myself. <laughs> um, I was a brat. I just, it, not, not that I was undisciplined, but I was needy and I was pretty whiny about those needs. And there's some who would say that a whole lot hasn't changed, but they don't know. They don't know. So, and my sister is also very independent, just like I am. My sister is much more reserved and much more analytical about um, participating in anything before she jumps in, whereas I um, tend to leap and then look very quickly behind me to see if the parachute has come out of the bag. <laughs> and my sister didn't understand things that I went through um, until... She, gosh, I don't remember how long ago this was, about 25 years ago, she broke her femur and, in, a, in a horse riding accident and um, broke some ribs and that sort of thing. And she called me three days after the accident and she said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't know that this is what you went through. And wow. my immediate question was, and how much morphine do they have you on? Because that was so <laughs> unlike her. Then, right. um, as in, in the last year since my mother has lived with her, um, we've become better friends. And I actually feel like for the first time in my life, I truly have a sister. And so that's been a good thing. But it's very difficult for both the child or children with disabilities, and the non-disabled children. And one of the biggest things that I would suggest, um, not to create a divide within the family, and my Kindle turn went to sleep mode on me here, so let me pull it back up. Not to create a divide within the family, but I think that because it is so, anytime you have somebody, whether it's a parent or a child with a disability, the family dynamic revol revolves around the neediest child. I think, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but there's a piece of parenting advice out there for mothers that says, or parenting, a parenting adage that says, you're only as happy as your happiest child. I don't know who said that. I think it was Irma Bombeck. And there's truth to that, but 
you know, whoever your neediest child is, is what the family dynamic runs around. Uh, for my husband, it was his sister because she was the oldest and she was the oldest cousin and she was the prima donna. And, and so, unfortunately, he likes to be alone a lot. So he said, I was very satisfied with not being in the spotlight. But it would have been nice if my ideas had been listened to every once in a while. So I would say this to parents, schedule some activities to in, to accommodate and be just for the kids who are able-bodied. If they want to go zip lining, take them zip lining. Um, the way that other families in your social circle in your church can help is offer a day of respite to the parents and say, let me take your child with a disability over my house. We've got a pool. We'll get in on the float. We'll do, or we'll do something that this child likes so that y'all can go and, and be a, and I'm going to use the air quotes, normal family and do something that the rest of you want to do. And I just think I've seen that work so well in so many situations and it creates it's like a pressure valve release for everybody of, oh, our life isn't forever going to revolve around this. And, oh, we can still do things as a family that don't include having to make accommodations for Harry or Sally, for lack of choosing two better names. So with family dynamics, um, whenever one child has a disability and their sibling doesn't, how do you think that impacts a family? Everything revolves around that child with a disability. In the same way that if you have a child who's a standout athlete and the other child is not, everything revolves around that child who's the standout athlete. The and, I, and I've always wanted to, there's a mom in the NFL who has three sons who are all in the NFL. I think Gronk is one of the nicknames. It's a shortened name of Gronsky or something like that. I've got to look that up. But people have asked her, how was it, what was it like having three standout football sons? She said it was great because I only had to be in one place until they all went to different NFL teams. And then it was really upsetting because I was right. juggling. But it's the same thing with when you have a child with a disability. You have to make time for the non-disabled child and things that that, that that child wants to do that don't include the disabled child. And right. the non-disabled child also has to make time for that sibling who has a disability of Okay, so these are the things that we're going to do, because to do otherwise creates resentment. I saw it in my own home. I, I've seen it in countless other homes. Um, and I had a an experience that I will treasure for the rest of my life. When I was, my very first work trip, when I was the Commissioner of the Administration on Disabilities um, in 2017, was to a big conference, and there was a sibling, a special breakout session for adult siblings of people with disabilities. And I went because I wanted to hear what they had to say. And I told them, I said, I'm here, but I want you to feel free to let this be what you need it to be. I'm just here there. And, and just to hear what they had to say and some of the pain and some of the, the feeling invisible and some of the, you know, the different things that they all felt and they all were in agreement with each other. And it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a gripe session. It was, this is where I struggle. And then you would say me too. You would see me too around the circle go up. And then I began to just sob as I sat in the corner of the room. And I said, 
we've done you a disservice because it's been all about making sure your your disabled sibling was included in things and you needed your own stuff. And I said, is there anything, I said, let's pretend that I am your disabled sibling. Is there anything that you need to say to me to get it off your chest so that you don't take it out on your disabled sibling? And it came at me. And I heard recently, even from one of the people that participated in that group, she said, I had to track you down on social media. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you because my second parent had died the week before I came to the conference. And I was now solely responsible for a very low functioning sister with, um, with a developmental disability. And she said, I, I was angry and I just needed to tell somebody that. And the fact that you sat there and let me say that to you as if you were my sister cleaned my heart in a way that I was able to go back and love her in a way that I don't think mm. I would have been able to. So nice. there's got to be a safe place for the letting off of pressure. Yeah. I know with my kids, um, they had different types of disabilities. Mm-hmm. So my daughter was, was visual impaired mm-hmm. from almost day one it was it was obvious there was something that she needed help with so we had the early intervention we had all the extra help there and then christopher came along a couple years later and um and for all points and purposes seemed to be developing typically some some speech delays but but those were being addressed along the way and um and so he took the back seat a lot of times whenever she was going through stressful situations Mm -hmm. But as he got older and it became more obvious that he had learning disabilities, that he had things that were invisible, and he was still taking that back seat, we started working on trying to make sure that we got him where he needed to be to have that time. And so we weren't the parents who had them go together to everything. They they had a lot of similar interests when they were young, which helped me as a parent because mm-hmm. they both could go to karate together. They both could do swim together. There were things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with Emily being involved with the Miracle League, they let Christopher come in early and be a buddy for her. So they did that still together. But we didn't make him go to her dance things. We didn't make her go to his baseball things. So they kind of had their space. And we realized pretty early on mm-hmm. that that was a healthy thing to do so that they could have that time with us. But it does take some coordination as a parent, especially if the income isn't there to be able to pay for a babysitter or some type of activity for the other child to do. And I like the idea where you're talking about the the respite care with mm-hmm. someone joining in. Friends of families who are in the situation, that'd be a great way to offer support and help for that family. Um, or single parents who have more than one child. Mm-hmm. Can you can you partner with them and maybe help that, that sibling or or help the child who has extra needs take them for a while and let the parent go, you know, which whichever way on that. Um, so yeah, so I think for all different reasons as parents, we feel that juggling situation happens all the mm-hmm. time. I want to go back, though, and ask you a little bit. Um, with your sister, so you said there's a 10-year age difference between you. Um, and your sister, more than you even, went through some younger traumas between the, you know, losing losing biological dad being part of her life. Mm-hmm. But then also going through adjusting to a new dad. Exactly. And then ultimately losing him as well. Um at, at some crucial ages for a young girl. Mm-hmm. So so she had, aside from having a sibling that she may or may not have enjoyed that much, <laughs> I'm just thinking she, she she had a rough childhood. She did. Coming through those years. She did. Um, 
really impressed to have heard that she was equally skilled in ballet and in horseback riding. She's that, that's pretty impressive. Still pretty impressive. She the, she's she is. Um, let's see, I'm 57, which means that she'll be oh wow, 67 in October, and and so this so and she has a horse farm, and she cleans out stalls every day. She um, gets on angry horses every day, and and she stands in the hot sun every day teaching kids. She she's the strongest person I know because she has yeah. had trauma, mm-hmm. and you know whereas I've had trauma for other reasons, she's had trauma that right. I am in awe of the things that she has been able to do with her life. Right. So when you were so when you were a baby, I know I know you had because you you shared in the last episode about um, some of the medical things that you had and and, and some of those at crucial times during your life mm-hmm. as well. Um, but did you have the typical sibling timing? Mean, are there times when you can look back when you were children in the home together? Because that wouldn't have been for that many years because she would have right. been leaving, right? Especially being, getting married at seventeen, you didn't have many right. years where you would have really remembered it, right? But did you have? family time together that that you're able to look back and remember you know some 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 pleasant things that that interchange between you with with with, with the tenure gap <laughs> oh yeah I mean it was different um and I know that she was forced into babysitting a lot and that that was yet I was another, thinking about that. Yeah. another create and, and that's something I would say to parents don't force your kids to babysit their disabled sibling unless they're completely comfortable with it period full stop and I have pictures of family Christmases that I can vaguely remember of, you know, opening presents and being really excited. Um, and this is, this is a sibling thing that's hilarious. We had this low retaining wall at the end of our driveway from where they closed in the garage to make a den. And um, she used to sit me on the wall like a little statue, and then she would practice jumping over me. And that's such a thing that siblings would do to each other. And I loved that she did that because it let me know that she saw me as a person and not just some little crippled girl. Uh, And before everybody jumps all over me for using the C word, that's what we called it back then. I remember that. And then different memories through the years of her being very protective of me. Um, She, I will never forget being at a shopping center and they sold me the wrong kind of film for the camera that I had. And she looked at me and she said, did you show them the camera? And I said, yes. And she, I think I was maybe 15 at this point. And she slammed the door. She jumped out and slammed the door of the car and goes striding back into the camera shop with the film in one hand and the camera in the other. And I see her yelling at the guy behind the counter and, um, and there was like some sort of difference in the amount that the film cost. And she was like, I'm not paying it. Just give me the film. And so, and, and you see, and I see this woman behind her go and handing her the difference in the money. And, um, <laughs> you know, so I know that while there was deep resentment there and, 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 and you know, and not hatred, it, I don't think it's really that. Maybe it was. I don't know. We have not gotten that far since we've gotten to know each other as adults. We've never gone down that road. And she said recently to me, she said, you know, I realize now that 
you have a strong survival instinct and so much of what used to irritate me about you was simply you trying to navigate your way through life. Yeah. And that, I felt like somebody had given me a sack of gold coins when she said that because it, I felt seen and I needed to, I needed to feel like she understood what I, what I was trying to accomplish. And I cannot imagine going through some of the things that she went through and living through them. So I have enormous respect for what she has accomplished. So. So, so as adults, you have a, a good relationship now. And this, this is exciting to hear too, that. Just um, within the know, last year, forward. I mean, we're, we're old and it's time. So. <laughs> when I, I know my, my kids, I mean, they're, they're both in college now. They're starting their adult lives. Mm-hmm. They, um, they have, they have different memories of different time periods and I think that part, I don't know that we can fix as parents. Mm-hmm. We can try and give them as much balance as we can. But what they internally view a situation as, that part, I don't know that we can control that. Because that's going to be based on their interpretation, their emotion at the moment. Um, what you know, Because they don't even understand always why we do certain things, depending on the age. No, and and so um, and, and and that's and, whatever I, it is is going to stick, right? But I will say that my kids are diehard loyal supporters of each other, and um and and that came over time because Christopher was born into the situation of being a sibling of someone that needed help. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily became that protector of him as it became more obvious that he needed some support and he needed kind of a cushion around him every now and then, especially when he was young and having even teachers abusing him just, just emotionally, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. with, with, the, with, with rid, rid, ridiculing, a, a learning disability even. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were a good support for each other and they have a closeness now as young adults because they, they walk through that together, but they were also much closer in age than you and right. your sister were. Right. So that, and, and I, I never knew being boy and girl, if they would have that connection or not. My prayer has always been that as adults, they'll be friends. I feel that that is going to be the case because <laughs> I see them now at, at an age where they should be totally opposites of each other <laughs> and their friends are very different. Their personalities are very different, but they do, um, migrate to each other to help each other. If there's anything, they, they text each other first, if there's a question or if they need support before they even text us sometimes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, that's the way so, that yeah. my husband and his sister are. They are only five years apart and they are okay, so closer um, in age, much closer in age, very different home situation, much more tranquil, much more, um, mm-hmm. settled. Um, both parents lived through their growing up years one of the things that was hard for me and my sister too, is that my mother got into, there's a, it's, they call them the fundamentalists and it's the Institute and basic life principles, IBLP or the um, ITA individual training Academy Institute training Academy, something like that. That's um, or ATI, ITA, something like that. Um, That's a homeschool thing. And it's very legalistic and, my mother held up my sister. My sister was pretty rebellious because I think of all the trauma and she was always held up to me as an example of who I didn't want to be. And so it wasn't until I left home and started college that I began to unpack all of those things and realized that mom unintentionally put a major wedge in our relationship and our view of each other 
because my sister said, I always thought you were the golden child. And I said, well, that's funny because our my mother's parents always portrayed you to me as the golden child because you came right home and did your chores and did your homework before you played and you were just little Miss Industrious. And I came home and took a nap and watched TV for an hour before I started doing my homework because I just simply needed to rest. And that wasn't understood. So for families, so we've we've talked a little bit about about the childhood part and how you've reconnected with your, your sister now. But through that and through families that, that you've interacted with as well beyond, beyond your own family, um, what advice would you give to families that are struggling to try to keep that healthy balance between their non-disabled and their disabled children? Make sure that everybody has consequences for bad behavior. If they can't be the same consequences for everybody, and sometimes children with a disability can't have the same behaviors that your non-disabled child has. You cannot expect a child who has autism not to vocalize and not to, not to respond in the ways that their body responds to things. But you can expect them to be, you know, to have manners and to behave and think. And I just think that there always need to be constant, that the behavioral expectations need to be attainable and that they need to be clear and that there has to be some way of getting the child to communicate all the children, disabled or not, to communicate back that they understand what is and is not appropriate. Um, one of the most, and or you know, and and to know what the child's limitations are, and to ex, and to, while not judging the non-disabled child by those same standards, just making sure that it's there's an understanding of what is expected, and that the playing field is level on expectations and consequences for not for not behavior like so there has there have to be limits there have to be consequences nobody gets a free pass because they have a disability right that's the worst thing that can happen i know for my kids um my daughter had an extreme fear of closed doors so putting Mm. her in her room was it would be a traumatic discipline for her so Mm -hmm. separating her around the corner where she could still hear us was what she needed so there were different things my son you could isolate him all you wanted to his toes were going to become toys there was just not really a lot that you could do he would even Mm -hmm. ask you what the value of a punishment was before he'd decide whether he was going to break the rules or not it was just so i like this kid i can't wait to meet him he is my kind of kid um so the um but we knew um like the, we didn't always put the children in timeout. Sometimes we put the offending item in timeout. So the top of our mm-hmm. fridge, a lot of toys were mm-hmm. in timeout on top of our fridge for a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point where mm-hmm. sometimes we'd find something up there and we couldn't even remember how long ago it was put up there because <laughs> we'd forgotten we even had it. <laughs> exactly. And I, that's a great way to do things. I think that a good parent when they're at a loss will seek out other parents in similar situations yes and this is another reason why i feel like what i'm doing at able americans is so critical to develop a resource bank so that there can even be an online message board or support group of if you're not in the same town if you can at least get on zoom and talk to each other and at least communicate that way there's a great value in shared experience 
and in the resource of like in talking to Johnny about how to handle the um, how to handle the radiation table. I I don't know what I would have done without her advice because I knew what needed to be done, but I didn't know how to ask for it. And I was so beaten down and so exhausted from being so sick that I had forgotten how to advocate for myself. Yeah. In a way that was appropriate because there is appropriate advocacy and then there is, I want my way, dadgummit, and I'm going to just pretend that it's about my disability when it has nothing to do with that. I just want my way. And, when there are benefits, um, yeah. you know, even to the, to the podcast, we've featured um, groups like the ARC, um, mm-hmm. the Miracle League programs, um, whether it's a recreational group or a, a support group that you're going to find, you're going to find other parents that are in the similar path that you are at those locations. And that's mm-hmm. where, as Melissa is saying, you're going to find um, those peers that you need that understand beyond parenting two children, beyond parenting you know, a, a, a typically developing sibling rivalries and everything else that happens, you're also looking at how to, how do you distinguish and helping to encourage positive growth in all of your children mm-hmm. with this. And so other parents in those groups are going to have the same questions, but some of them will be ahead of you and may have some solutions that they found that, that are working. The thing that you have to remember about children with disabilities is that they are not their diagnosis. They are first your beloved child. Yep. And as long as that is kept in mind, everything's going to be okay. It may take a while to get there, but everything is going to be okay. If you keep in mind, you know, how, what would you want done for your non-disabled child? Well, then do that for your disabled child. How, how do you think parents can help their typically developing child understand and accept what their child with a disability has going on like to maybe help foster that relationship between the children hmm well again uh, and you have to know about me that I love the show Big Bang Theory okay. uh, it's it's um, because I uh, there's this character Sheldon and he is a level one and he each of the principal six characters in the show five of the six have something that makes them an oddball. And the sixth okay. one is a beautiful blue-eyed blonde actress and wannabe, and then she works at the Cheesecake Factory. And one day, um, Sheldon's roommate was talking about, why does he act this way? Why is he this way? Uh, and, you know, and, and she rips around and she looks at him and she said, because the brain of his, the part of his brain that tells him how to act has a wedgie in it. <laughs> and just, you know, and then it was funny, but it was a great explanation and and I think that if parents can just be very, they don't have to be overly technical. They don't have to be overly medical. They don't even have to give too much information. Just give enough information to answer the child's question. I equate it a lot like sex ed, age appropriate. Um, what what do they really need to know to understand the the situation? Mm-hmm. Um, it may be Melissa's legs don't work like your legs. I think that it depends on the child. I just think you need to be very realistic and not scare the, the typically developing child to death, but help them you know, be frank, be absolutely frank and say, this is the reality of this situation. 
I'm going to ask you not to share this information with your sister or brother that you know this. Don't use it as leverage, but you need to understand this about your sister or brother. Um, and I had friends who were more like siblings, and I had one friend who was just determined that I was going to learn how to walk. And she was a freshman in high school the year I was a senior and sent me down a flight of steps because it was just beyond her why I could not concentrate hard enough to, you know, and she wasn't, she was brilliant. She um, got a degree in chemical engineering and worked at DuPont, but she loved me enough that she wanted me to have the same experiences she was having. And I think that every sibling needs to know that it's not up to them to create those experiences and that it's not up to them to fix their sibling, explain their sibling, but it is up to them to be a good sibling to their sibling to the best that they're able. You know, how would you want to be treated if this were you? Oh, well, I wouldn't want anybody to pick on me. Then don't let anybody pick on your brother or sister. Um, and it, you know, and I keep going back to, um, it was perfectly fine for my sister to sit me on the wall and pretend to jump over me. But the moment that somebody in the neighborhood took out after me, oh, no, 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 no. That was not going to happen. And because my sister's oldest child is only eight years younger than I, it was more like having a little sister. And she was the same way. She could be obnoxious and get frustrated with me. But heaven help anybody that ever made fun of me or laughed at me or anything like that uh, because my niece was a basketball and volleyball player and she was a softball player and she was very scrappy and she'd just flat take you out no questions asked and and you know you just didn't miss mess with Aunt Melissa she didn't call me Aunt Melissa she's called me Melissa because our ages were so close but I think it has to be it, it's be age appropriate Again, going back to the um, the sex ed, be age appropriate. Don't give them more information than they ask for. Explain it in the simplest terms. And then be willing to answer follow-up questions. To be frank. To be, you know, not put the child off of, oh, we'll talk about it later. Because there may be, and, and then ask, is there a reason that you wanted to know? Because somebody may have made fun of the sibling at school or out in the neighborhood and the and the typically developing sibling may not have known how to handle that or how to address it they may have been asked what's wrong with your sister what's wrong with your brother and they may not have known how to answer that so that may be why they're asking I think it's always important to get some context on why that information is needed but to never not give it to give it in the most um in the most generic and simplest, easy, easiest understood terms. That's what I was trying to say. Easiest understood terms. Good answer. I Thank like that. You. All right. So, Melissa, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Don't try. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I'm very easy to find. I am um, Melissa Durham, D-U-R-H-A-M, Ortiz, O-R-T-I-Z on Facebook. My email is M-O-R-T-I-Z at nationalcenter.org. 
and my personal email and my work email are very similar, so I had to think about it for a second. Right. And then my Twitter and Instagram handles are DC Bell, B-E-L-L-E, DC Bell on Wheels. And that's how you find me. I answer inquiries. Um, I'm happy to talk to people by messenger. I'm happy to receive emails. Um, in fact, that is the preferred way to get in touch with me is by messenger or email. All right, excellent. Um, and do you have any special projects you want to talk, talk about? Um, well, hmm. the, um, the resource, do you want um, information? We are, yes. Um, if you have special resources that you know about in your area, please tell me about them through an email because we are building an app. One day we hope to have more than just a web page with all the resources, but we hope to have an app so that all you have to do is put the diagnosis the need and your zip code in and everything within 100 miles will pop up. I'm also pulling together a presentation for four governors. Uh, they shall not be named at this time that I'm going to go and talk to about Medicaid portability. Uh, if, you ha if you are on Medicaid, you understand this all too well, but many policymakers and lawmakers do not understand that Medicaid is not portable between states. And that creates a lack of opportunity for many, many people who have chronic illness, medical fragility, either themselves personally or they have somebody in their family that's dependent on Medicaid to help cover the expenses of their disability. So I am putting together a pilot program that I'm hoping these four particular governors will endorse and it will become eventually practice of the land. Melissa, thank you for um, for spending some more time with me today, and I look forward Delighted. to the next time we have you back again. But but thank, thank you for, for sharing just your personal experiences with having a sibling and just even the good and the bad that you've gone through. And um, it was exciting to hear where you're heading now as you, as you go into the future together as, as friends and sisters now. But mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us as we learn more about family dynamics and disability. To stay updated on more episodes like this, make sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a five-star review. Your feedback helps more special needs families find our channel, and it helps guide us in creating new content. Until next time, remember, understanding and compassion can transform lives. I'll see you next week.